Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Have a special guest in the building today. I have Sheikah, Dr. Shika Anad, Chief Medical Officer at Withings. Uh, Withings provides personal health data and insights to millions of people worldwide through their award-winning ecosystem of health tracking devices and is the producer of the top-selling connected scale in the U.S., um, in her role, Dr. Anad will help Withings bring more clinical-grade medical devices into the home, as well develop solutions for medical professional audiences. Uh, Dr. Anad will also lead the company's clinical strategy, playing an integral part in research and in the re- regulatory process. Uh, Dr. Anad, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Corey. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and you know what gets you up in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. So I am uh, by training a pediatrician, which is pretty unusual in the the health tech space. Um, And really, that means that I think about a lot about prevention, and a lot about the longitudinal trajectory of health, right? Uh, There are parts of your health that's driven by your uh, acute medical situation, and maybe the interventions that you get from your clinical team. But the vast majority of your health is really driven by the small choices you make every day. And nowhere is that more apparent than in the field of pediatrics, where everything is around behavior and development and nutrition Absolutely. and activity and learning, right? So um, so that's kind of what I bring into the space. And I spent the first 15 years of my career in working in federally qualified health centers. So working with um, populations that are historically medically underserved, um, that really don't necessarily have access to extraordinary financial means um, or all of the best in class that's available. And so I feel that my life's work is to offer for my patients, and then I use that in a very broad term, that includes sort of my quote-unquote patients at Withings, all of our consumers, to, to ensure that access to opportunity for, for attainment of great health is equal across the board. And so um, I've done that in a few different ways. I've done that as a clinician. I've done that working with the federal government on large projects. I've done that um, in the research space. I've done that with large corporations. And really what I hope for for Withings is that we can do the same type of thing where we can provide digital health in the home with advanced metrics truly to everybody. That's, that is awesome. Do you, do you feel like your, your background working at a federally qualified health center really helps you understand not just those people who can maybe kind of afford the, you know, digital health services, but really understand there's, there are a lot more people. This there's a lot more than just, um, there's a lot of people out there that really can't and really understanding what people can do with these services. You feel like having that background has really helped you? Absolutely. So, um, you know, many people get into health tech because they're technophiles or they were trained as an engineer or something mm-hmm. on that order. Um, it, it, I'm here because I feel that someone who's got this 
really rich understanding about what people's lives are like when they live below the poverty line mm-hmm. um, can define a different type of design of products so that we can ultimately scale, right? When you think about technology, it's very expensive typically to start up and very cheap to scale. It's a little bit less true in the hardware space, but 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 a lot of what I lead is still in the software space, even within a hardware company. So the idea is if we build it with the right premise in mind, we can convert it to a different audience quite easily. But if we build it with the wrong premise in mind, mm-hmm. then we have to change it to convert it, which is often where companies get stuck. So as an example, um, I insist that we write ideally at the sixth grade reading level because we write clinical content that sometimes bumps up to a little bit closer to seventh or eighth. But the idea being that even if you have a low level of literacy or English fluency or health literacy, uh, you still can really understand what we're offering to you. And that means heavier reliance on pictures. It means use of simpler words. It means... um, not going towards the technophile audience and making things mm-hmm. complex for the sake of complexity. Right. And that leads into, you know, my, my next question, you know, what, what do we mean by health equity? Like, what does that, what does that mean in, in your world dealing with some of the things that you, that you do on a day to day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I alluded to this a little bit in my prior comments, but yeah. to me, it's really the equal ability to achieve health regardless of your social circumstance, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the levers that allow you to achieve health are many fold, right? There are your genetics. I have diabetes and heart disease and hypertension in my family. So there's no way to run away from that. Uh, there are some genetic factors also related to your race and ethnicity. I know as a woman of color, my likelihood of getting diabetes is much higher, even without mm-hmm. my family history. Um But then there are your environmental circumstances. Uh, There is your own sort of will and motivation, you know, varies among people and even within a person on different days. Um, And then there's your financial access, right? So um, all of these things come together for for each person. Now, we can't really change the genetics, right? It's pretty difficult to change my race, ethnicity, or uh, the medical history of my parents or grandparents. So, okay, we're sort of stuck there. Um, the environment is something I've worked a lot on historically. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of obesity work earlier in my career, and a lot of that is environmentally oriented. There's great movement afoot there, and I hope the environment will continue to improve, but that's probably not in the purview of what we do now. Mm-hmm. So really, it's two pieces. It's one, can we give people equal access to their information, right? We, we design novel digital tools inside people's homes Um, that allow them to see their metrics in a different way. So one, can we allow them to see their metrics? Two, can we make sure that we help them interpret them, right? When you get a whole list of medical numbers for anybody, it's confusing at any educational level. So how do we make that less confusing? Um, And then the third is, can we provide insights and motivations that are appropriate for their context, right? So sometimes in work that I've done prior, you know, it's, if you want to be healthier, you know, buy more organic food from a high-end grocer. Right. Okay. That's possible, more possible for some people than for other people. So how do we create insights that that make a difference or are relevant for every type of audience? That, that's the problem that we wish to work on in the work I do now. Wow, that, that's awesome. And, you know, lately, you know, I mean, lately, the past couple of years, health tech has been, there's been a big light on health technology. You know, yeah. lately, huge. Like you can't go on anywhere 
and see something about telehealth services or health tech this, health tech that. But in, what is what is the role of technology in, in improving health outcomes of populations or, or health equity? What do you see that? What is the, their real role in, in that? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it depends a lot on the technology, but but I think that the role in terms of improving the health of all populations, I think, um, you know, some of the health technology we see is technology for the sake of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's making something old, new, you know, so you, uh, you know, we used to have pedometers and now we have fancy watches. Okay, right. like, you know, we, we feel much more excited about the fancy watches than we do about the pedometers. But if you think about the core functionality, it's actually more or less the same, Um, you know, uh, but, but it's making sure that we can maintain the same enthusiasm and also have the functional requirements available to all populations. So where step tracking really has utility, because we know if you measure more, you're more kind of attentive to any given measurement. You know, if you weigh your food, you're much more conscious about how much you're eating. If you weigh yourself, you're much more conscious about how much weight you gain. If you count your steps, you think a lot more about your activity. So how do we make that accessible to everyone? I think that's really the idea in health technology. And how do we design services that are affordable? For a variety of populations, and they may not be affordable in their first go. Often, again, you know, to make a new device, it costs a lot of money. If you're going to make a brand new phone, and it's going to have a whole bunch of innovations and patents, the startup costs are very high. So the mm-hmm. first version may be a few thousand dollars, but maybe you ensure in the second or third or fourth version that it's really accessible to everyone, because obviously the companies need to stay in business if they're going to do this. Um, And then how do you, again, make sure that the messaging is targeted to everyone and that the motivation is targeted to everyone? I think that's really the role of health tech across the board is not to, um, you know, we're seeing this in the market. A lot of really well-intentioned things are really focused on health equity. And that's fantastic. And we want to deep focus on health equity. But if you're beginning with a health equity focus and you're not beginning with a tech focus, the question is, how do you really meet in the middle? Mm -hmm. You know, if big tech is going after the best in class innovation and health equity is deeply going after access, in reality, in my mind, the solution needs to be both of those things. So how do you really bridge that gap? So from our side in health tech, we need to push towards things that are accessible towards everyone. We need to develop the right partnerships with people who have expertise in health equity, and we need to then roll out. Um, to the, to more populations than our standard base. Right, right. You know what? I, what I appreciate about health tech, just with the patients that I see, is being able to help them see the patterns in their exercise or in their diet and how that connects with their health outcomes. Right, because sometimes they can be doing things and not not understand, or they they may think they're eating a certain amount, or I just eat this and only eat a thousand calories. I've heard that a million times. But then when yeah. you track it, you're like, oh, like it, it's eye opening and allowing them to see that. And then now they can make those changes. I feel like that from my from my standpoint is the biggest benefit, especially for the population that I serve, is allowing them to actually see what they're doing and see the correlations in their health. Yeah. So I agree with that completely. Although, you know, I would argue that's a ubiquitous problem. Right. Mm. I mean. Uh, there's a very clear scientific correlation between how well you sleep or your level of sleep hygiene, how many hours you get, you know, the consistency of your bedtime, et cetera, your routine, um, and and how much you weigh. Because generally, when people are exhausted, 
they become sort of calorie starved. They go searching yep. for high fat, high calorie foods. And obviously we know the more of the, and they get tired. So they're not really apt to get on a treadmill for 90 minutes or anything like that. And so uh, what ends up happening is that they gain weight. And it's amazing how little insight people have into this. When you say it to just about anyone, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. But when they start to think about, they don't necessarily apply it to their own lives. So this is something I feel that we need to do across the board. It's absolutely true for, for populations that are kind of historically underserved, but it's also really true for other people. I think the distractors are different in the different populations. So when you get into a kind of core technophile audience, you might have a lot of people who work 80 hours a week or travel a lot for work or have all of these distractions. And that's what gets in their way. And when you're dealing with populations that are that are dealing with things like homelessness or food mm. insecurity or other things, their distractions are different. They're trying not to get evicted, right? But in effect, the distractions have the same net effect. Um, so really, this is a problem across the board. And I, I lay that out because I think that uh, sometimes in health equity, we are accidentally othering populations who have different needs. And, and there is a kind right. of core similarity across people. Many people are not paying attention to how their behaviors relate to their health. And so I, I'm very cautious about this because from my patients over many years, I've heard this sentiment that, you know, people think we're not trying or we're not paying attention or we don't care. I ran right. obesity clinics in, um, in, a, in kind of a vulnerable part of Boston in a part of Boston that's medically underserved for a long time. And, uh, and so I think what I heard from, from people was just like, you know, people think we're not trying and, and we're not that different than anyone else. So I do want to stress that. Right. It's not like you're not trying. It's just the, the, the problems are, are different. That's right. But they have right. the same effect, distraction, same effect. distraction, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and similarly, you know, I think that there's this big idea that's been floating around for at least the last two decades that I've been working, which is like, you know, if you give great tech to people who have lower financial means, they either won't want it or they won't know what to do with it or they won't deeply appreciate it. And that hasn't been what I've seen ever. I mean, I think, you know, a, a great user experience is a great user experience across the board. And there might be different ways in which people use it. But um, to, in my mind, that's a bit of a fallacy. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, like, I see people all the time and they they have smartphones. They know how they know how to they know how to use it. Um, sometimes it's a challenge to getting them to use it consistently. But that's everybody. Sure. That's that's just not. That's not a one population concern. That's that's. I have plenty of apps on my phone that I've used once and and I have used again. So. Absolutely, I was hard pressed to get my smartwatch off the charger after you know twenty four or thirty six <laughs> hours every week. Um, you know, so I, you know that that's not really any lack of access. It's like I have a lot of stuff going on, and I would just forget. Right. Right. Um, so I, I think we all have those challenges. I do think that the kind of counterbalance to that is that there are some real infrastructure issues that are different, right? So a great example of this is um, is wireless, right, of any type and mm -hmm. the ability to access technology 
more particularly in rural areas, right? You may have some financial challenges where people are paying out of pocket and and um, they might live in a place where they have to pay a lot out of pocket each month and they may not have the financial means to access wireless. That right. happens a lot um, in urban populations. And then in rural populations, you know, for, for some places, even if you have the money, you actually can't access Wi-Fi. So, you know, one of the things we've been working on um, in my company is cellular access and the ability to have a device that has its own connectivity, you know, kind of built in um, so that those issues don't become the real barrier. Right. That's awesome. So with, with all of our, you know, discussions so far around, you know, equity or in, in health equity, is there is there a difference or do you feel in digital health equity from just health equity? Is there a difference? Is there something that's there? Um, well, I think that, that there may be different parts of a similar challenge, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of public discourse on equity versus inclusion. But, but in my mind, in both healthcare design and in health tech design, there needs to be a philosophy of inclusion. And there's the idea of inclusion, which I think we've come a long way on in, in the years that I've been working. But then there's also the, what I would say is the practice of inclusion, right? Um, the only way to get to real inclusion is to ask a whole lot of different types of people what they think about what you're building. Mm-hmm. And that's really best practice, right? But so like we, you know, I, I lead a team that includes consumer experience or consumer research. And, uh, and so we need to make sure when we survey people that we survey people in different countries and in different um, circumstances, you know, people with different ethnic backgrounds, because, you know, health is very cultural. And so we need to be very careful about that. So I I think that that type of theme is true in both, you you know, that kind of removal bias in the way in which you deliver your intervention. I think that's common across the board. Um, I think that, that because true, you know, because kind of standard healthcare, the systems are largely kind of individual interventions. So if you come into my office as a doctor, I'm going to meet you as you are. I have a lot of ability ability to adapt the way in which I address you. So I may, Mm -hmm. you may come into my office, Corey, and I know that you want me to call you Corey by your first name. You call me Shika. I call you Corey. I address you informally. I say, how you been? Right. And then the next patient can walk in and I know that they want to be called Mrs. Smith. And that they would like a very formal, you know, how have you been in the past few right. weeks? And so I can adjust my body language and, and all of those things very quickly. I think the hard thing in health tech is you're generally designing in mass. And so you have to f- find the right note for a broader audience. Right, right. Do you feel like healthcare will, or are they already kind of accepting health tech in, in the healthcare system? Yeah. Um, like anything else, it's highly variable, right? So, mm-hmm. so I would say a couple of things to this. One, you know, there's always this challenge of how innovation gets diffused across the population. So, no matter what your new innovation is, there are people who are going to embrace it on day zero or or drive right. it, right? There are a lot of doctors who are leading companies driving new innovations, et cetera. Um, and then you'll move all the way to the people who, even after they're forced to use it, will grumble about it every day, right? And right. so that, that's just a diffusion of innovation curve. We're certainly seeing that in health tech. Um, I think what's challenging in health tech, particularly with regards to 
clinicians, and I think this is probably most true for doctors, although that may be a controversial statement, um, is with this, we're accepting kind of patient or consumer autonomy in a different way than we ever have before. So when I think about things that we're, you know, we're building in my company, right, we're, we're giving people access to an EKG at home. This didn't exist before, right? You right. suddenly own your data in a really different way, and it's completely unmediated by your clinical team. So in addition to this adoption of technology, there's got to be this adoption of, of patient or user autonomy, depending on which con- context you sit in. Um, and again, I think that's all over the board. So you may have people that really love the tech, but really don't want people to have measurements that they don't mediate in terms of the healthcare oh, setting. Gotcha. It, and I can, I can kind of see that as far as, you know, a provider, mind you, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, I'm not a provider in that sense, but wanting to be in control of that. That's right. Right. And, and I feel like maybe it sounds like with some of these new technologies, some of that control is slipping away, it seems like maybe for a good That's thing, right. but it's kind of maybe take some time to see it as a good thing. That's absolutely right, right? So we've moved kind of, you know, when I think about my role as a doctor, we've moved from telling you what to do as a patient, which always made me a bit uncomfortable because sure, if it's a medical intervention, I can tell you to take this medicine. I'm I'm very good at that. But as I said, I'm a pediatrician. So if I'm going to tell you how to feed your baby, that has a whole lot to do with what your job is, who's feeding, what you're feeding, et cetera. I need to understand that. And you're going to know a lot of that better than I do. So I can, I'm really a consultant in the process and mm-hmm. we've sort of moved and moved and moved all the way to the place where people have access to a ton of information and they have access to the tools to monitor things themselves. So now in many cases, the, the, you know, the doctor is like an ad hoc consultant. They, they call, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. It's kind of where right. we are. Um, and, and that's a really big shift, right? And there's always been, you know, that's a bit of an overstatement. There's always been a bit of that, right? There are different patients who interact in different ways. But I think with more and more tools at people's disposal, it's much easier to do that responsibly. So I think now our role in in kind of the, the provider or, 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 and I say that in a really broad way, not just right. people who deliver direct care, but people who design interventions, is to really think about how do we establish trust? And how do we set parameters for people to say, hey, for most things, we want to empower you to do it yourself. This is your health. You should be in control of your health. That's absolutely the right thing to do. Um, But in this small number of cases, if you do the wrong thing, the risk is way too high. And we really think you should consult with someone to really understand that because it's not going to be that easy for you to Google it and get to the right answer. Right, right. So there is some some yin and yang. There is, you know, there is some kind of balance there. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, what are some, you know, digital health services that you're really excited about, you know, that are, that are coming out that you're working on now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, I mean, I'm the kind of person maybe who's excited about digital health across the board, because I really do believe in, in patient empowerment. And, and I do feel like in many regards, this is going to be most profound um, for historically underserved populations, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I think that people with financial means have found ways to empower themselves in a variety of different ways, even in prior sort of contexts. Right. Um, and this idea of really spreading empowerment is going to be most profound for some of the patients I've seen across my, my clinical settings. So I would say um, in terms of what's exciting, I think more and more measurement at home, right? People's ability to monitor their health, be that 
uh, EKGs, be that oxygen, be that we have a sleep analyzer. So really understanding your sleep patterns. Um, you know, you might lie down and wake up at the same time every day and you might sleep differently within that time mm -hmm. every single day. Right. So then how do you think about that next level down, right? Um, so I, I think about that as being incredibly important. Uh, as we talked about, I think everything that relates to behavioral insights as it relates to that. So how do we kind of connect those dots for people? Um, and that's not, you know, that deep tech, that's much more in the behavior change and app space, but there's a huge movement in the market. And I think that will be incredibly exciting. Um, I'm really excited about the femtech movement. Uh, I think that, um, you know, that really thinking about women as consumers, I mean, we know that women control the majority of healthcare spend in any household, and that's been true for a long period of time. Uh, yet societally, we've been very slow to kind of provide care that uh, particularly targets women or really kind of wholly thinks into how those needs might be different. Right. And um, there's a lot coming, you know, there's a lot out and there's a lot coming in that regard. So even the notion of just, um, you know, having a support team that will help you on a journey from hoping to have a child to conceiving the child to being pregnant to having a right. pediatrician, I think is incredibly compelling. That is not um, good. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think um, the, the other place in the femtech movement that's been that, that's really exciting, I think, is this movement around menopause, which is fairly nascent, mm. but really exciting. Uh, you know, that with this femtech movement and with this women's health movement, the prototypical woman has been like the kind of person who you typically see on a commercial, you know, someone who's young and healthy and right. wearing, <laughs> wearing yoga pants and looking right. sports bra and looking amazing in them. Right. And, uh, and maybe that's not all the women on earth. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so how do we really start to think about all women? And so really, you know, I, I think the menopause movement is, is, is great with regards to menopause for support, but it's also great in thinking that, you know, this notion that, a big part of health period is women's health or a big part of mm -hmm. health equity is women's health equity. Right. So right. when you start to think about these things, how do you, okay, think about issues that are specific to women, but also how do you think about issues that aren't specific to women that might manifest differently in women? So, you know, um, women are often sent home from the emergency room with heart attacks because, um, they're, they're kind of written off, uh, you know, as, as maybe being histrionic or maybe having heartburn or maybe having something else. Um, and, and this happens at a much higher rate in women than it does in men. You know, how do we start to think about cardiac care as it pertains to women, I think is really important. How do we think about mental health as it pertains to women? So um, that's really exciting. And then I think all of the evolution on mental health and most specifically digital mental health is amazing. So, you know, um, things like cognitive behavioral therapy being mm. delivered through a game or through digital means um, is amazing. Uh, you, you know, I think some people want the person and they want the touch. Some people have stigma right. associated with seeing a therapist or other, or other things that would really benefit. And so the notion that you can get it from a game. Yeah, there, there's, just, there's just so much. There, there's a whole lot going on is like where, where to focus you, yeah. you know it's almost like there's always there's there's something for everybody do you feel like that can be maybe a bad thing or is it or you feel like kind of the some of the the bad tech will kind of just kind of weed itself out in the the stable ones which is kind of be there yeah it's a great question so i mean generally i i believe in in consumer choice as you've probably yeah. from the beginning of our interview so so generally i think more choice is better uh what i would say is we haven't yet 
figured out how to ensure that there's the right kind of health standard or clinical standard associated with every piece of tech. So you see a lot of things out. And obviously, we, you know, we have the regulatory bodies like the FDA, right. and of course, they're doing their job and they're doing it well, but not everything falls into those regulatory categories, right? So if you think about something like weight loss, like if you're to Google diet pill, you'll get 10,000 hits. And I'd, I'd guess, you know, maybe a handful, maybe a hundred tops actually have any real clinical efficacy, right. but everybody's telling you, you can lose 30 pounds in 10 days or whatever the, oh, you know, yeah. the absurd claim is. Um, and so I think in that part, like the, the idea that it's hard to evaluate what's real and what's not real is a really tough burden on consumers. Um, you know, if you buy a washing machine, you know, that they're all going to wash your clothes. I don't think it works like that in health. Right. Right. You know, they may do it better or worse, but none of them is not going to have the ability to take in water and mix your soap, you know? Right. No, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Dr. Nod, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate your insight. Um, if anybody wants to get to know you more or learn about what anything that you're doing, where can they find you? Absolutely. So it, probably the easiest is LinkedIn um, and it's Shika Anand. I'm the chief medical officer at Wedding. So. So um, easiest to look me up that way, I would say, and would be happy to continue the conversation. I think there's a lot that we can do here. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for being on. And uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I'll holler at you next time.